Welcome to the Candace Malcolm Show. My name is Candace Malcolm. It is great. Wait, wait a minute. No, this is fa- this must be fake news Friday. That was definitely not true. It is the Candace Malcolm Show. I'm not Candace Malcolm. That would be a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to have happened to the wonderful Candace Malcolm if she came on air looking like this. No, I am Andrew Lawton. Thank you so much for tuning in. As you know, if you are a longtime viewer and listener of the Candace Malcolm Show, we do things a little bit differently. At the end of the week, we look back at the week that was and we point out the best and, well, often not the best, but the most accurate examples of media inaccuracy, perverse as that sounds. And to do so this week, we have True North journalist and producer Harrison Faulkner. Harrison, welcome. Good to talk to you. Happy to be here, Andrew. Happy to get into some uh, some more fake news stories. Yes, we are shining light on the darkness of the legacy media, or so often that's how it feels. And there's actually a few to get through. We're, we're going to try to cover a lot of ground here in the time that we are doing this show. But the big one I have to start off with, and I, I should say this is not just a Canadian fake news story at this point. This is one that has traveled around the globe. I've had people from, I, I had someone from Hungary this morning message me saying what the heck is going on in Canada. It is a clip from a Quebec. Quebec television show on Nuvo, hosted by Julie Snyder. And this is one of those things where I don't think I could set it up as well as the clip itself does. So why don't you take a look? Voyage, est-ce que vous avez vos vaccins, vous autres? Oui, tous les deux, on a une seule dose. Ah oui, puis est-ce que vous êtes d'accord, vous autres, avec la vaccination obligatoire? Oui. Oui? Oh. Ah oui, hein? Wow. On dirait que je les ai drillés, Julie. Oui. <laughs> oui. <laughs> puis qu'est-ce qu'on devrait faire avec les gens qui veulent pas se faire vacciner? On devrait... Euh, appeler la police. Ouh, oui, oui. S'ils n'ont pas leur vaccin, ça peut mettre beaucoup de personnes en danger. Fait comme le gouvernement est en train de faire en ce moment, il faut leur couper petite chose à petite jusqu'à temps qu'ils qu se stannent et qu'ils se fassent vacciner. En tout cas, vous avez, on a des futurs politiciens à côté de nous. <rire> Merci. Merci beaucoup à tous nos amis. Now, I realize that not all of you may have caught the captions. Some of you may be listening to the podcast. You didn't have the benefit of seeing it. Harrison and I are, are going to walk through this here. We're, we're going we're gonna to do a, a reenactment of sorts. We're not going to do it in French. We're going to do it in English for you because I want you to just understand the absurdity of it. Uh, because I'm the host, Harrison is stuck playing the children, uh, but I'm going to play Julie Snyder here. So Julie starts off by asking these kids, and I, I don't know how old they are, but they look like they're maybe, what, like eight, nine years old. Are you in favor of mandatory vaccination? Yes. And then there's someone else that says, it looks like I drill them because the, the kids all nod up and down like automatons. Julie, what should we do with the people who don't want the vaccine? Kids, we should call the police. Yes, yes, yes. Kids, what the government does now, we should cut everything from them little by little until they submit and get vaccinated. It looks like we have some future politicians here. Now, we are both waiting with our arms outstretched for our Emmys for that performance. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank uh, Harrison and Candace, who will certainly never invite me back. But this is what happened. This was on television. I'm making light of it, but this was a serious point. The host of this show went on and not only asked kids what they should do with the unvaccinated and, and let the kids answer in a way that I assume they only got from their parents, then cheered them on as they said they wanted to throw the unvaccinated vaccinated in jail. This is on Canadian television. Julie Snyder has since apologized for the question, but I don't really buy it because she chose to ask that. This was part of the show. And, and more importantly, all the people cheering it along, this is what they believe. 
Yeah. And, and here's the thing, Andrew, well, obviously what we've known is that there's something really, really wrong going on in Quebec these days. The, the, the amount of pressure that they're putting on unvaccinated people, the, the language that the government is using against them is it's really disgusting. And here's the thing about Julie Snyder and this, this program she runs, they actually ran in September, in September of 2020 or 2021, but before this months before this, they ran a, a segment in a classroom where it appears that they're same, the same people that were on that program, the same kids. And they were talking about the same sort of thing. They were talking about how this is what we need to do to the unvaccinated. We need to lock them up, keep them in their, keep them in their homes and, and make sure that they don't, they don't spread the virus. So they're using kids to push the government message. And really it, it brings up the worst imagery uh, as we've seen using, um, using children for propaganda. But here's the thing, obviously there's been a lot of pushback with this, uh, with this story. And just when, when this story came out, when this clip kind of was, was translated into English and, and spread, uh, a lot of people took issue with it. And a petition was started to have her booted from Nuvo, which is run by Bell. Uh, and that has 45,000 signatures already. So clearly this is not being received well and, and they're trying to backtrack, but what can you say? It's, it's disgusting. It's, it's scary to watch. Um, and really you just want to, you just want to see, you, we need to see this, this stuff change. This is just far beyond what should be acceptable. Children should not be used to push the government message. And, and when you see that, you, you know, something is really wrong. And uh, some of the biggest names on Twitter, some of the biggest names in, in, in Canada, like Jordan Peterson, he chimed in on this and, and called it appalling. Uh, Gina Carano, who was in The Mandalorian and who's now with Daily Wire, she tweeted this and said, neighbors turning on neighbors, even children. So sad, such a slippery slope. And now we have kids reciting this. And even True North's Cosmin Georgia uh, wrote on Twitter, they stole the future of our children and now they're using them to peddle their hatred. Sick and deranged. And I frankly couldn't agree more, Andrew. Yeah, Cosman's point is actually an interesting one here because I say actually, like I'm not surprised, like I'm surprised. No, no, no. He makes lots of interesting points, but this particular one, because no child that I've heard of, and I and I don't have kids, but I've got nephews, I've got friends who have kids, I've known kids, I read what parents are saying online. No kids are excited about this. No kids are happy to be out of school right now. So the idea that these kids are like the most lockdown happy, restriction happy kids in the world, like I, I hope that they aren't representative of a larger group. That other clip you mentioned from September, we have here. I want to roll that for you. Si je vous dis pandémie, est-ce que quelqu'un peut me dire c'est quoi ça le coronavirus? Ils vont fermer les gens chez eux parce que sinon, ils vont commencer à se parler et à se toucher. Puis ils vont tous se le donner, se le donner aux autres puis aux autres. Ça va juste faire que tout le monde va l'avoir et plusieurs personnes vont mourir. Qu'est-ce qu'il faut faire? pour se protéger du coronavirus. Toujours porter le masque, admettons que tu vois un ami, parce que les, ben, les bactéries peuvent aller sur la personne. We'll spare you the reenactment of that one, but basically, as Harrison said, it's uh, one of the girls in question says, the pandemic means we have to lock up people in their homes because if not, they will start to talk and touch each other and they will give each other the virus and then give it to others and others, which just means that everyone will get it and many people will die. And she's saying it with a smile like a good student, but basically these children have been programmed
program to believe and recite. And the French media in Quebec, Nouveau, is fueling this, that if you don't lock people in their homes or jail the unvaccinated, that there's just going to be like mass casualties. Everyone's going to die. And and it is child abuse to put children here. Like, I don't like when I see kids at protests. I don't like when I see kids that are forced into situations where they're making a point because people think if a kid makes it, they're going to be like, oh, that's so cute, instead of engaging with the actual arguments. But what's happening here is you've got legacy media that are fueling that very dynamic. Yeah. And, and you know, speaking of Bell, speaking of Nuvo, which is run by Bell, CTV News, also owned by Bell, they had a, they had a little moment uh, last week, I believe it was, that we need to get into. Uh, they, they ran a segment called Week in Review, in which they basically spent the entire time criticizing Spotify who own the Joe Rogan podcast, they were criticizing Spotify for not censoring Joe Rogan. Uh, because recently, Joe Rogan, as I'm sure most of you know, uh, did an interview with Dr. Robert Malone. And it has been watched, you know, you know, tens of millions, I think it's 20 million views, something, something wild. It's really one of the most popular podcasts of all time. Uh, and to give you some context here, a group of 200 plus doctors they, I say doctors, they're not doctors. It turns out that the majority of them are not d- direct medical providers or not even legally permitted to practice medicine on their own. And nearly 100 of them hold PhDs, not, not medical degrees. And they basically criticized Spotify for not censoring Joe Rogan. So CTV News picked this up. They invited two people on the show. One, who is, one, one of these guests is this no-name podcast host, Neil Headley. And the other one is a morning radio host here in Toronto. I want to play this clip because it really shows you just how, just how convinced and, and, and focused the legacy media are in, uh, in censoring any kind of conversation that goes against the legacy media narrative on COVID that could potentially lead those people to have a difference of opinion on vaccines. But here's the thing about Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan, much like your, let's pick a major fast food drive-through. Mm-hmm. Joe Rogan, and this is from the inside on the podcast industry side, Joe Rogan makes really tasty garbage, ah. like so many of the fast food chains okay. do. It's stuff that's not good for you, but people consume it en masse. I actually listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, okay. even though it's not healthy. I listen to it, and, and I know a lot of people listen to it, and I know it's um, so popular. The likelihood that they'll do something, I don't think very likely, but they need mm. to. <laughs> they need to because, unfortunately, because COVID has been so politicized, it's been allowed um, to, to have all this misinformation around it. If this was like the AIDS crisis, you could not possibly yeah. go on the air and spread misinformation. If this was cancer, tuberculosis, any other crisis that didn't have politics around it, mm-hmm. you couldn't do it. Because it would be false, it'd be offensive, and it'd be dangerous. But COVID got politicized, and now you can say all these really wild things about it, and people will actually believe it and defend it. And it's crazy, because people are dying and yeah. getting sick around it. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Do you hear a lot of COVID misinformation when you listen? It's a lot and- of debates. Like, um, they'll have these debates around, you know... The ivermectin and oh, well, I've got the uh, I've got the uh, T cells and I've got immunity and it's, it's all these debates mm-hmm. and it's like a lot of it's just not the facts from real. You know, they'll have doctors who are coming on and trying to have compete. Sanjay Gupta was on there the other day, competing with yep. Joe Rogan. You know, so um, 
you know, it's a lot of debates, but some of the information just should not be allowed to be spread on such a, a, a wide scale. And two quotes I want to pull from that clip. The first is from this Headley, this, uh, this Neil Headley, who runs his podcast, which no one has ever heard of. He says, the thing about Joe Rogan is that he makes really tasty garbage. It's stuff that's not good for you, but people consume it en masse. And then this other quote from Jamar McNeil, he says, I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, even though it's not healthy, COVID got politicized and now people can say whatever they want and all these wild things. <laughs> and he says, and he goes on to say, actually, what, what makes Joe Rogan's podcast problematic is that there are a lot of debates and it's not, and it's not just the facts. So apparently, Andrew, having debates with people from both sides of, uh, of an opinion is wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to this because on one hand, I, I believe that, you know, TV should be able to have the debate that they're having about whether someone should be listened to or whether someone should be taken seriously. That's all fair game. But when you start saying so-and-so should be deplatformed, which was really the premise of this panel, that Joe Rogan should not have distribution, his podcast should not exist on Spotify, they're saying that we believe that we are the gatekeepers of who deserves to be heard. And Joe Rogan has an audience that the vast majority of Canadian and media outlets would absolutely just, you know, give their left kidney and their firstborn for. He has a lot more legitimacy than most legacy media. Now, it's not a popularity contest just because you have more listeners doesn't mean you're more right, doesn't mean your facts are better than their facts, but it does mean that you can't be discounted. If you want to go up against Joe Rogan, start refuting, start combating it, start having these debates, but you're only able to unlock the truth through that process of debate, not through silencing others. And it's very rich coming from a legacy media outlet to have this discussion about who doesn't deserve an audience, who doesn't deserve to be heard. Well, uh, with the like it or not, audiences are not choosing you. They're choosing Joe Rogan. Absolutely. And Andrew, one, one other thing too. So Joe Rogan has this massive audience. Are, is CTV telling us that they couldn't find one person to defend Joe Rogan? They couldn't find one person uh, on this panel or, or in Canada to defend Joe Rogan having the platform that he does. One in which, as you said, so many people uh, just love. They, they love his podcast. They take it as a breath of fresh air and no wonder this is what you get on legacy media. You get one-sided opinion and political opinion at that versus mm-hmm. Joe Rogan, who has different guests of different opinions, different guests of different uh, different experiences, and they cover all different topics. So really, it's no surprise that Rogan has the audience he does and that CTV has a dwindling audience that they have. Yeah, and again, it's not, I don't want to just pick entirely on Bell Media here. There's lots of fake news to go around. In fact, even across the border, this story needs to be mentioned here. The Wall Street Journal, who generally I find is pretty good on economic issues and on energy issues, so this one really surprised me, wrote a, a very lengthy story in which they talked about Canada's oil sands. And if you were reading through it, you'd get basically the impression that this was just the worst thing in the world, the Canadian energy sector. That was how a lot of the so-called facts that they were talking about in this article, which you can see up here, one of the world's dirtiest oil patches is pumping more than ever, are ripped right out of the environmental activist playbook. Now, whether that's just because that's what the reporter believes or or that's just the only research he did, I have no idea. But I want to go through this because 
One of my big frustrations here is that a lot of the things in there are very demonstrably combated. Like one of the claim in the article uh, is, as you see in the headline there, that this is one of the world's dirtiest oil patches. And the reality is far from this. So uh, what we do know is that emissions, if we start using all of these terms that are supposed to be good to the environmental left, emissions have decreased by over a quarter since 2013, and global production has gone down by uh, less than half of that. And more importantly, oil sands producers have all linked arms and said, we're going to go to net zero. So they're doing exactly what all industry is being told to do by the folks at, you know, COP26 and, and whatever. There is also, I mean, this one's just basic math, and, and I have to give credit, the Canadian Energy Centre found this number. The article says the oil sands cover an 88,000 square mile area in northeast Alberta. Uh, that's not right. It's 55,000 square miles, and you may think that's not all that relevant, but it is, because if you can misrepresent by you know, 60% the size of the area you're crapping on, then surely what else are you missing out and on and misrepresenting would be the question I'd ask. And, and incidentally, only 3% of that area is ever used for oil sands mining. Uh, another fact here that was uh, put out that's not true, that oil sands and tailing ponds are, quote, arguably the most visible human scars on the planet, unquote. Now, again, the Canadian Energy Centre did a lot of the research here, but you can verify it all, and, and that's what's so uh, disheartening about this. You could quite easily look up these numbers and challenge them, which it does not seem like uh, the Wall Street Journal did. Uh, the tailings uh, settling basins in the oil sands are covering 175 square kilometres, so that's one-fifth the size of New York City. If you compare it with China, which is the beneficiary of a lot of the production that we don't do domestically, uh, has its Three Gorges Dam, which includes a 380 square mile artificial lake reservoir. So, I mean, these may seem like abstractions, but the point is you can't say this is one of the worst in the world when you can quite easily point elsewhere in the world and say, well, you know, that's massively larger. And also producers have spent $10 billion collectively to reduce this very problem. So in Canada, when the industry is left alone, it comes up with solutions to all of these challenges. And then there's also uh, this one here in the article, that investment in existing oil sands projects has stalled and banks are refusing to fund new ones. So production is booming. Uh, there are a lot of barriers to it. Certainly uh, the carbon tax, other government measures. There is some move towards divestment, they call it. Activists encouraging banks to not finance anything in the energy sector. But these are still minority positions. So uh, what's happening is Alberta's oil production last year reached a record and is still growing. So again, very easily debunked. They say it's in decline. The facts tell a different story. So uh, quite a bit of fake news. I, there were probably some other numbers I missed there. Uh, to be honest, even the commas were probably not in the right places, but but I digress. But yeah, amazing how diligently they fact check the energy sector, uh, which would seem to be not at all. Well, exactly. And, and here's the thing, Andrew, if this story was written about uh, perhaps an energy, uh, an energy or oil patch somewhere else outside of Canada or outside of the United States, I can almost guarantee that Reuters, AP, the fact checkers would come out and slap a fact check on this article. We found four facts that uh, were, we found four, you know, facts that the article brought up, but it's a lengthy article. So there's probably some that we missed in there. And so, yeah, I just wonder uh, when, when will the, when will Aramco and the other oil producers uh, in the Middle East uh, commit to the same, uh, commit to the same emissions targets and emissions reduction targets as, as the Canadian producers have. And, and like you said, where are the fact checkers? 
where's Reuters, where's AP, where are the others that like to uh, like to so often come down on news that they don't find to be factual when in reality, most of the time, it's just political news they don't like. Yeah, for sure. And and it, just as we close things out here, I, I want to point out that we, we also like to give credit where it's due. As a longtime viewer of Fake News Friday, I, I know that CBC is a uh, preferred target in the metaphorical crosshairs. But this is a week where CBC mistakenly, I think, got it right. Uh, if you watch CBC's Instagram, which I don't know why, but if, if you do, I'm doing the hard work so you don't have to, you may have seen they actually gave some advice on how to prepare for COVID. And this was like a rare example of non-fake COVID news here and non-paranoia. CBC says, experts say most Canadians will get exposed to the virus at some point. Here's how to make the isolation and illness a little easier if you get sick. They say you should prepare for COVID-19 infection by keeping on top of chores so you're not dealing with them while sick because you shoveling the driveway might be challenging if you've got the Omicron or some other variation of COVID. So you should make your bed and uh, shovel your driveway and do whatever else when you can so that you're not sidelined by COVID. And then stocking up on soups, decaf teas, honey, lemon, and lime to help nourish yourself and hydrate yourself and purchasing lozenges in case you get a sore throat. Nothing in here about ICUs, nothing about ventilators, nothing about not being able to breathe. They're saying all you need to do to weather COVID right now is do your chores, buy some tea, and keep an inventory of lozenges. Uh, and uh, Harrison, I mean, this is fine. I think there's nothing wrong with this. This is honestly how most people with the Omicron variant are getting by. But this doesn't jive with other CBC coverage, even pretty recently about COVID. No, not at all. And, and yeah, like the CBC, they're basically the, they're, they're our punching bag on Fake News Friday. They always give us material. If we're short one week, we can just jump onto the CBC and find something last minute. So for our story this week, we were able to find something that I'm sure the editors missed when they published it. But yeah, this is coming from the same CBC that just this month published two opinion pieces. They call them kind of first person when, when they have a doctor write about their experiences. Just for example, this was, uh, I think, a week ago or a week or two ago, and, and they wrote, they published an article called, this is what a 16-hour hospital shift looks like for me while Omicron rages. And this doctor who I'm sure has a very difficult job and, and, and a job that we all thank, thank her to do. But she writes, despite being entrenched on the front lines of the pandemic for two years, this wave feels different. Thankfully, people are less sick this time around due to vaccination and property of this new variant. Nevertheless, because it is so contagious, the sheer volume of people who are sick is that much higher. So like you said, Andrew, this doesn't really jive with the typical CBC editorial position of fear mongering and pumping up the, the concern around Omicron. And, and I guess apparently someone decided that actually, no, it's not that bit, not that bad. We'll just we'll just treat it with lozenges and tea. Yeah, there was another story that I liked as well, which again, runs directly counter to what the Instagram department at CBC is coming out with. They say, how to build resilience when there's no end in sight to the pandemic. So on one hand, there's no end in sight, but on the other hand, all you need is tea and lozenges. Now, whichever side you're on, the fact that these two conflicting narratives are being published by CBC means inherently one of them has to be fake news. I know which one I think it is, but you can decide for yourselves. That does it for this edition of Fake News Friday on this January 21st, 2022. My thanks to Harrison Faulkner for coming along here. Candace Malcolm will be back in her rightful place next week, but it's been a pleasure, everyone. Thank you.